If you'd like a break at any time, feel free to raise your hand and push the overhead light. Excuse me, flight attendant. Ah, uh, uh, there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a long interview. It's going to be a long night, everybody. It's going to be a long night. Welcome to Stand Up Pedal Action. Imagine, if you will, pouring your heart and soul into a project for four years, powering through loads of sweat, a fair amount of blood, and maybe even a few tears. Then finally, getting to see the project released into the wild to fly. That is precisely where we find today's guest as SRAM rock shocked the biking world with their release of Flight Attendant, the world's first wireless electronic suspension management. Join along as we talk with Joe Schoolcraft about his background, involvement, and passion behind this fun new tech. Oh, welcome everybody to another uh, excellent, excellent episode of Supa. We are super privileged today here. You had to do that. I had to. You know, I, I restrain myself very often. I just want everybody listening to know we did make it through 13 episodes before that happened. Like we made it that far and that's important. Yeah, it's hard hard to restrain myself but today yes super privileged to have we are the man myth and legend joe schoolcraft here in the studio with us a little bit of of what i know of his background here he uh he is from indiana he is a a wrestling phenom from back in the day proving Uh, that there is in fact more than corn in indiana true he knows that jingle oh i know that jingle yeah. <laughs> do you want to finish it for us uh no i don't want to okay. <laughs> little crow and the bird with the oh, oh, yeah, there man. We go. indiana beach yeah yep. well he uh was a dirt biker t- turned mountain biker and now still treads on a dirt bike and has become quite the electronics guru over the years which eventually brought him uh to sram and for those of you who are wondering why we're talking to an electronics guru on a mountain biking show, that's going to become real apparent here pretty soon. Yes, yes. That was a real brief overview. Uh, you're also a great friend and a great guy, and I'm happy to Likewise, have you in my life. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much. So thank you for, for joining us. And uh, yeah, to start off, I would love to hear where your passion for cycling came from, how it got started. Yeah, well, you, you touched on it a little bit. I mean, I grew up in uh in the country like my parents had 33 acres of woods so i was always out doing something in the dirt you know and um whether eating it when i was a kid or uh, (laughs) actually playing in it you know um so started off got a dirt bike in middle school and rode the wheels off of it mowed a lot of yards to keep paying for it to keep fixing it and all that kind of stuff so that's kind of where my two-wheel passion got started and then um my brother got into mountain biking a lot my older brother got into mountain biking a lot and it was always like, oh, you got to come try it. You got to come try it. I'm like, oh, there's not a throttle on one of those things. So I think I'll just leave it alone. But um, he got me to do a, mount, a couple mountain bike races with him when I was in eighth grade. And uh, I was pretty fit. As you said, I was a wrestler and football player. So I was in pretty good shape. So I usually did pretty well. I think I, you know, this is a little local race. It didn't really matter, but I did pretty well in it. And, uh, and uh, for those at home who don't know, uh, right now, Joe is sandbagging a little when he says, I used to wrestle a little. <laughs> no, I wrestled for 12 years. This is a big part of my life. And, and at what level? Uh, okay. I once stayed a few times, but it's like, in middle, okay, there it's we like go. I yeah, didn't yeah. do anything in high school because <laughs> I got hurt and had to quit. But, uh, that's whenever I really started getting into biking more is after 
I had I got hurt and had to quit uh, football and wrestling and had to put the dirt bike away for a while just to try and let things heal and then put on a lot of weight because I was eating like I was still in football and wrestling and so in college yeah. I was not very fit and then um, you know my brother my older brother got me into mountain biking and started riding more and really enjoyed it. And then I actually got a job at Jimmy John's being a bike delivery guy at my college campus, believe it or not. And, you know, you do 20 miles a shift delivering sandwiches and you're sprinting as hard as you can because you want to be the fastest delivery guy. Yeah. And uh, ended up losing like 15, 20 pounds pretty quick. And then it's like, this cycling <laughs> thing's pretty sweet. And uh, yeah, I was super into mountain biking after that. And mountain biking in air quotes, of course, in Indiana. There are some good trails around, but nothing like we have out here. Um, yeah, that's pretty much how I got into it and then just stayed with it. And it was a, a great passion of mine just because it was super fun, um, helped me stay in shape and, um, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of made my head work better. And I always was geared towards being an athlete and definitely was struggling in college, not having that kind of outlet to go do something athletic and competitive. So yeah, yeah, I'm here I am now, I guess. So, <laughs> <laughs> and those early races, do you, uh, I always ask this cause I'm so curious. What was the first bike that oh, you geez, lined dude. up on a start line with? We literally, so we didn't have a ton of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not like I was like, you know, I had a great childhood. I'm not trying to say that, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't have all the money in the world. So my mom bought a GT Tolera, like rigid bike with like an old person seat and stem on it. Like I had one of those adjustable stems on it for like 50 bucks. Oh, at geez, yeah. Sale. yeah. And so I took that off and like put like a slightly less crummy seat that rattled around and uh i think we put like a stem off of my old mongoose it had one of the quill stems it wasn't like a actual real thing and yeah but i think i got third in a couple races on that thing i mean again it was like eighth grade so like it doesn't really matter but um, yeah yeah i don't know and then after that was a specialized hard rock it was too small sizes too small and weighed 30 pounds and I love that thing. Man. I used to stare at it. it. had these nasty green handlebars I put on it. They were like big riser bars to get the handlebars up kind of close to an okay height for me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> things have changed a lot since then. <laughs> like yeah, the bikes a little have gotten bit. a lot nicer, but uh, yeah, I used to love those things so much. I'd stare oh, at it all day. I'm just like, oh man, the bike's so sick. Yeah. So sick. If only I knew. So. <laughs> I mean, that's okay because officially, like the first bike I ever really took into the woods was a Huffy. There so you, go. Yeah. you had one up on me. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's good. So this is kind of the, the, the physical side of your, your growth through the years. Uh, I, I want to note as well that you are a very well-rounded gentleman here. And Renaissance you, band. Yes, yes, you are exceptionally talented in many different instruments. I, from what I can remember right now, uh, you got uh, the guitar, mm -hmm. acoustic and electric, yeah. and then uh, the violin, mm -hmm. piano. Isn't it bass as well? I mean, if you play guitar, you can plunk around on a bass but i don't actually own a bass okay am i missing any no no those are the three main ones it started with uh violin way back in the day and then in middle school got the guitar because i thought girls would like it and, uh, <laughs> how'd that work out for I you met my wife so hey, guitar, worked, so that's yeah. how it paid off and then pro yeah, tip yeah, we're yeah, always yeah. looking for those for the uh, yeah, listeners yeah, you, you know yeah. a man of many talents and somewhere between all that athleticism and all that music, you also apparently had time to grow a brain. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have much of a choice there. My, my, my mom and my dad both met in an engineering school and uh, they're both engineers growing up. My mom, you know, she stayed home with us, but she was an architect. She switched from doing electrical engineering to being an architect. So she drew people's houses for a living. Oh, okay. yeah. My dad was a mechanical engineer and worked on jet airplanes and all that kind of stuff. Like super smart dude. Uh, 
you know, pretty much my whole family makes me look pretty stupid, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, so I didn't have much choice in the matter. Just kind of wired that way. Um, yeah, I remember my dad would always, he's such an engineer, like, I would open, the, my little brother would open the door in the winter, and I'm like, Ben, you're heading, Ben, close the door, you're letting the cold air in. And my dad would be like, technically, you're letting the warm air out, because that's yeah. <laughs> how the thermodynamics work. So, like, yeah. <laughs> just kind of had to grow a brain to even understand what people were saying in my family most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, where did that take you through school? Because you also went for engineering. I did, yeah. So, um, I, you know, I always thought I wanted to work on dirt bikes, because... I had a dirt bike and I thought it'd be super sick to just go design dirt bike parts and just enjoy that. And, um, so landed pretty darn close to that. <laughs> um, but I went to school, um, again, you guys mentioned I was into guitar and actually started working for a guitar pedal company, um, my senior year of high school. Cause it just so happened that one of the best boutique brands around the guy was from my hometown and had a little operation in his barn and he would let me come over and work and make guitar pedals for people. And, uh, design some. So that made me want to go into acoustical engineering, like to learn how mm-hmm. sound works and all that. And uh, I minored in electrical engineering. So um, Purdue University had an acoustics program. And uh, so I went there. And like I said, I ended up graduating uh, barely <laughs> with an acoustics degree and a electrical en- minor in electrical engineering. And um, that took me to a microphone company called Sure Incorporated, which is where I met the guy who ended up hiring me at SRAM because he left Sure to go work at SRAM. And then he offered me a job more or less about a year after school. And uh, here I am in Colorado Springs. So never would have thought that an acoustics degree would let me work on mountain bikes someday, but I'm so stoked that it did because yeah. uh, it's a pretty fun job. And, you know, it's definitely something I'm super passionate about. So right on. Yeah. And that's, that's easy to see in both your, your writing and your, your demeanor. Yeah. <laughs> and it's probably to this point where you can silently judge the acoustic setup of this not quite studio. You know, it's honestly not bad. There's not a lot of echo and uh, the, t- the blankets were a good call. And, uh, blanket for it, man. Blanket yeah. is like both uh, fun and practical. So. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. 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 Back to your regularly scheduled life that you were living, <laughs> having moved from Sure here to Colorado Springs. As a uh, electronical engineer, essentially, for a bike company. Mm-hmm. How does that work? Because bikes are mechanical, right? Yes, yeah. they are. Aren't they? They are mechanical, but you can use electronics to enhance the mechanics. Now, how on earth would one use electronics on a bike? Well, there's many ways. There's <laughs> electric shifting, electronic dropper posts, and now, as the world knows, electronic suspension. And that brings us to one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show. Not the only reason. <laughs> Joe, we'd love to talk to you anyway. But the reason we're talking to you tonight is a little thing that some people who are listening to the show will not even have heard of. And this project has been your baby since the day you got to SRAM, right? Uh, well, since Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, since I moved to Colorado Springs, it's been pretty much the only thing I've worked on. So give us the rundown, top to bottom. Yeah, so flight attendant. It's an uh, electronic suspension system, uh, wireless. And um, basically what it does is it reads the terrain and reads inputs from the rider, like pedaling or not pedaling, and um, uses all of that information to kind of paint a picture of what's happening on the bike and what's happening on the trail. And it uses that to uh, adjust your low-speed compression settings to try and give you the most efficient and the most comfortable ride possible, uh, all kind of close to the blink of an eye, you know, or faster than the blink of an eye. So um, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And there's a lot more to it than that, obviously, but um, yeah. I'm sure we'll get into that as we go. But so when you walked in the first day that you were on this project, 
was it like some kind of Hollywood thing where like, you know, oh, like <laughs> it all opens up and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this exists. I want to be a part of this. Or was it like a sort of a long slog through the forest? So actually, so I actually got hired at SRAM in Chicago because that's where I was, I was working in Chicago um, for a couple of years at Sure, and then started at SRAM in Chicago with the intent to move out here. And I remember the first day um, at that Chicago office, they were talking about what projects I was going to be working on. And they're like, the main project you're going to be working on once you move to Colorado Springs is flight attendant. Oh, 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 what's that? It's electronic suspension. I was like, dude, no way. My brothers and I were just talking about how we could try and figure out how to make this ourselves. So like, we're planning <laughs> on doing it as a hobby just for fun. And then I find out, I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm going to be getting paid to do this. Like, oh, sick. This is even better. So was your original idea anything like what ended up happening? Uh, it was more, it was like way more convoluted and wouldn't have worked nearly as well. Okay. But, I mean, it was, I mean, yeah, we would have gotten a decent result but like this is like it takes a team you know it's not just yeah. you know one dude off doing his own thing so his or her own thing so right. i think yeah it's definitely better than what would have been if it was just me doing it so just making sure yeah, yeah okay but no i was super excited to be working on this project and was super gung-ho and honestly i was <clears throat> i mean i don't know if you can tell or not but i'm like i'm only 28 right now and uh i was geez i was 24 23, 24, whenever I started at SRAM. So I was very much a junior engineer. And I, I was only supposed to work on one little piece of this. And then just through happenstance, like, I ended up working on a heck of a lot more than that. And I'm really glad I got to. But so, I mean, yeah, it ended up working out pretty awesome to get to have a pretty lot, lot bigger hand in it. Yeah. So, and, but this project predated you, obviously, by mm -hmm. quite a bit. Yeah. Um, at least in all the press material, they've said this has been going on for more than a decade. Well, yes. I mean, like actual development, I want to say it's been like seven, eight years of like, you know, and that's not like seven, eight years straight, you know, it's, right. you know, off and on, but it's been in like the advanced development, like kind of experimental phases for seven or eight years. Like, I think they first drew it up in 2012, maybe, or something like that. I remember it being like my senior year of high school, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so it's kind of neat to be able to jump in and work on this, but so yeah, advanced development stage for quite a long time, like four, three or four years. And then, you know, three or four years of me and the team I was on, like doing mm -hmm. hardcore development on it and taking that kind of first concept and turning it into a product. What was it like for you to kind of sink your teeth into a project like this and have it grow and become something that's actually working on your bike? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a good point. Was it rideable when you stepped on the project or? Yeah, I mean, we had, we had two prototype bikes, um, called thing one and thing two. And yes. they're pr pretty like, by the time I got on it, it was like pretty outdated geometry on all of them. Like this is like, mm -hmm. right. as like the longer, lower slacker, you know, ge geometry kick was, was starting. So these bikes were a little outdated to ride. Um, but yeah, the system worked. It was like, it had the, 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 the basic concepts were there. Like the pedal sensor is vital to making this thing work right and be, yeah. you know, natural to ride. Uh, and then it had a pretty rudimentary, like bump detection algorithm, that, like got the point across. Like it was, it needed a lot, a lot of work still, but like, again, the pieces were there. It's like, okay, it's a proof of concept that like, we can probably do something with this. It wasn't wireless yet. There are cables all over the bike and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it was like, you could take it for a ride and be like, okay, this has potential. Like there are plenty of times I wanted to throw the bike off a cliff, but that's what a prototype's for, you know, it's like, right. will this even be possible? And it's like, yeah, you can see it. So after the first few rides on it, I kind of made a list of things that, you know, I was like, okay, if this is going to be a product, this is what we need to fix. Mm -hmm. And again, who am I? I was just this 
dumb 24 year old kid, you know? Yeah. So honestly, I was not expecting to get to do any of the work on it, um, on the algorithm that is. And so I made that list and I was really like, man, I really think I can do this. And there's not been like a whole lot of times in my life where I'm like, yeah, I know I can do this. But this was one of those times where I was just like, man, I really, I really feel like I can do this. And I was like, you know, I was like, God, if I can, if I can actually make a difference here and if I can actually work on this, just please make it happen. And sure enough, uh, my boss at the time was kind of like, you know, yeah, well, if you want to play around with it a little bit, like start start messing with it and see what you can do. And so I kind of fixed one thing. People were like, oh, yeah, they made it better. And then fix another thing. Oh, yeah, they made it better. And then, you know, the more you succeed at that kind of stuff, the more people start trusting you and yeah. uh, letting you do more with it. So then with that, and again, this isn't just me doing this. It was my whole team bouncing a lot of ideas off of each other. But um, once they once they saw we were kind of making improvements, uh they kind of like let us run with it and ended up doing way, way more with it than we thought we were going to be allowed to do just because of the time constraints and, and that sort of thing. So I guess, you know, to go back to your original question, it was just rewarding. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. like it was so cool. And, um, and as a big growth thing for me too, both, you know, professionally speaking and personally speaking, like I learned a lot, you learn a lot about yourself whenever, uh, you have a challenge like that set before you. It's like, you kind of learn like, okay, how do you work? Like I had so many, uh, bike rides, test rides out there where I was by myself and just like getting so mad at myself. Cause like I was just struggling to get this bike to respond right to this one situation. I can't figure it out. Can't figure it out. Can't figure it out. Um, and just, you learn how to like not beat yourself up whenever you fail, mm-hmm. um, and to celebrate when you succeed. And also you learn that like, you can't ever do anything really that great by yourself. Like the rides where I had like my boss with my buddy, my boss, uh, yeah, he's my buddy and he's my boss now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, kind of fun. That's a good, it's a good relationship, but yeah. you know, Mark Sanderbane, whenever he'd be out there with me bouncing ideas off of each other, like he didn't write any code cause he was a mechanical engineer, but like he understood what was going on with it. And, um, he was really good at like getting me to like figure out what we needed to do. So mm-hmm. yeah, like having other people with you along for the ride is so much better than trying to do it by yourself. And when you say, when you paint that picture of being out on the trail, you've also told us before that that meant nights to like 10, 30, <laughs> 11, you're out yeah. there alone with a laptop and a bike. That that was actually woods. one of those learning experiences. Both, okay. Like personally, that was a personal growth opportunity. Is there more to that story? <laughs> There's a lot more to that story. Oh man. I was working on this. So we were getting ready to go ride, like test ride flight attendant with a customer. And like, this was like. I think October of 2019. So this was like, we basically 2018, we developed like the wireless hardware Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff and got all that kind of prototyped and working. And when you say customer, you mean a bike company that's coming to talk to you guys. One of the big bike companies. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to say who, but like, yeah, it was, it was Mm -hmm. like, if this goes badly, we're not selling a ton of these bikes, but if it goes well, we're selling a lot of these bikes, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And, um, so I, I've been working on this. We've been working on the algorithm for, probably like six months, you know, like really working hard on it. And it was, we're shown great improvements, but obviously I'm still working on new features. And there's this one specific feature that required me to climb steep switchbacks over and over and over again. And, um, I really, I had this cool idea and I was like, I know it's going to work. And like I, the prototype that I kind of coded up for it worked pretty well. And people were like, Oh, it's pretty neat. But there were other issues with it and other situations that weren't steep switchbacks that like, it's like, if I can't fix that, we're not using this. And man, I, I just got in my head, like, it would be so cool for this bike company to see this work. 
And uh, I was just like, I got into my head like, man, I have to do this. Like, it, I would look so smart. SRAM would look so smart if this worked. And um, so I just became a pride thing at that point of like, if I can't figure this out, then why am I even doing this? And so I, that's why I ended up spending probably three or four nights in a row, uh, literally just from like three o'clock till 1030 at night, just out hitting the same switchbacks over and over and over and over again on Columbine Trail in Cheyenne Canyon that you guys both know. And, and for uh, those who don't know, the idea of doing Columbine switchbacks for seven hours is hell. Like that it was sounds not a fun terrible. Time. No, it was. Yeah. I mean, there were some cool moments at night whenever like the sun goes down and it's just like you and your little field tablet out there and your bike and you know you're turning all the lights off and you're typing and then you turn the lights back on because you heard something move and you're like, what is that? You know? <laughs> uh, but you know, eventually, long story short, I failed. Like I didn't get it to work um, in that iteration, and so we had to go talk to that bike company without it, and it was actually really good because. Uh, about a month later, I did get it to work and it was annoying. <laughs> we didn't like it, so we didn't end up using it. So oh. it's just kind of cool. And uh, yeah, that was, there were a lot of days like that where, you know, we tried a lot of stuff and it didn't work mm -hmm. at first. But I think what that shows is we were willing to take a shot and we were willing to try things and try out ideas and we've learned what worked and what didn't work. And so that's why I think what we have today is quite refined and works as well as it does. Um, now obviously, there's always room for improvement, but. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of yeah. what it's like, though, you know. Um, I'm hoping to be working on this till either the day I die or the day I leave SRAM, whichever one comes first, you know. I mean, I think, yeah. there's, you know, there's just so much you can do with it. So a lot of big projects, um, especially a lot of big ones where there isn't a precedent for it, come to market with a do or die, either this whole thing works or it doesn't work at all. And it's just not going to happen, you know, like the... One of the most archetypal stories, of course, being like the Steve Jobs iPhone golden path, like it had to work and look that simple, even though it really, really didn't. For you guys with this, though, it sounds like flight attendant, at least for a good long time, had been solidly functional. The question was how to get it so refined that once it hit the market, it was going to be a success from day one and you weren't going to get murdered online. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we had the history of access going before us. Like yeah. we knew our derailers worked really well and they sold really well. And we knew our, you know, wireless dropper post, our reverb access sold really well and worked really well. And we know the road stuff worked really well and sold really well. Um, so that provided a lot of confidence for our team that we could pull off a wireless, you know, electronic suspension platform because, you know, those all, I mean, all that stuff shares technology. Like we don't like, like, like the team in Chicago does the road drivetrain stuff, but we work with them all the time because we're using a lot of the same code base stuff. So yeah, um, it's, it's just, it's efficient engineering and it's smart engineering because then everything that you do is tested that much more because everybody's using it. So we, we knew, we, we knew going in that we had, uh, we had a wireless protocol that was really solid and that was quick and, and, mm -hmm. and worked well. Um, so that gave us confidence there. That it was going to work um and then really the biggest question mark was how do we get this algorithm to work and you know how do we get it to where it's actually going to be solid and like you said not get us murdered on the internet um although it sounds like maybe that's happening anyway a little bit i mean you can't make everybody happy i mean all the reviewers pretty much that have reviewed it and actually written it for like about a month have been like from my opinion like it seems pretty positive on it like about mm -hmm. as positive as you could hope for so i'm pretty thankful for that but then there's always like you know the comments and yeah <laughs> a lot of stuff and that's okay you gotta have thick skin for that stuff so sure um but yeah so like the like i said the biggest thing was just making sure the algorithm worked right and um 
that's why we spent, you know, three years of doing pretty much nothing but working on the algorithm and, and trying to make sure it was right. It's like we knew if we could nail that, it would win people over. Because um, essentially, for somebody who just looks at it and thinks that it's just wizardry with blinking lights, really what this is is math with a battery attached, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a uh, yeah, good amount of math and good good battery and uh, a lot of hours of test riding it, you know. Um, I think, honestly, I think that what's that's what part of what sets um, this electronic suspension apart from other ones that have been out on the market. Um, and I'm not, like, the other ones on the market are impressive, and they, I have a lot of respect for the engineers that designed them. But um, I, I, I honestly think that whenever you have people that are that passionate about bikes that ride it all the time, like, our test riders are awesome. They're all, like, super solid riders. They do crazy rides all the time. Um you know, and then my my boss is a rider. Yeah, I I ride quite a bit, and whenever you can actually get out there and experience it and and feel it on the trail, like it it changes your perspective on how to, to approach design problems because it's like not only is it just somebody like complaining to you that there's a problem with the system, I'm out there complaining to myself that there's a problem with the system, and mm -hmm. you know it just helps you see these things. Like it's like if if my my boss is pretty funny. Um. When we were first getting started on the algorithm development, my boss would come out to me and I'd be like, dude, it's just super twitchy. It's freaking out. It's shifting all over the place. And I'm like, I don't know, man, my bike's working just fine, you know? And yeah. then, but the fact that we both know how to ride bikes, okay, you know, we can go out there together. And like, I rode right behind him on his bike and I was like, holy crap. Yeah, he's right. This thing's shifting all over the place. Like, what the heck's going on here? Yeah. Um, whereas if you, if you weren't really, if you couldn't do that, like and you didn't have those test riders who knew what they were talking about, like you, it would just be a huge disconnect between what it feels like on the trail and what needs to happen in the code base, you know? So I don't know. I don't really know how I got onto that tangent, but um, yeah, that's a big part of it. Yeah. So one question that I've had as I thought about this, cause you know, they, people joke about, you know, like, Oh, if your fork feels great in Ute, that's cause it was built there. Like that's cause it was <laughs> tested here yeah. in town on our trail. And so yeah. of course it feels nice. How on earth do you mathematically model the performance of a bike that is supposed to now just be sold and can be ridden anywhere on earth, any, ter any terrain, anything? That keeps me up at night. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, you know, that's a challenge. Like it's, you can't just look at like, how does it perform in our backyard? It has to mm -hmm. perform well across the world. And like, we have pretty varied terrain here in Springs, which is great. That helps a lot. But, you know, we like personally, I've ridden this, um, I've ridden this in Colorado, all over Colorado, all kinds of different riding in Colorado. I've ridden it in Utah, Moab. Um, I've ridden it in Bellingham, Washington, which is entirely different than what we have here. It's like you have actual dirt that you can corner in. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and Lone. so like crazy steep climbs you can do because there's oxygen there that you can't really do here. <laughs> right. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, I've ridden it in Sedona, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, Tucson, Arizona. Uh, I've ridden it in New Mexico, you know, all over the place. I even rode it in Indiana, believe it or not. I took, about, I took my bike back home yes. with me to visit my family and uh, rode my 170 millimeter bike on some flow trails. And it actually, like, it made it kind of fun, actually, hey, because, like, the, the, the bike just worked, you know? If I had this in Kickapoo, mm -hmm. like, there in Danville, yeah, yeah. Illinois, I would love that. Yeah. That and, place is, would be perfect for I this. I mean, I don't think I would still take my 170 bike, but 170 millimeter no. bike, but I would take a trail bike with it on it, and it'd be super fun. Um, so I've personally ridden it quite a few places in the U.S. I'd love to ride it more places. I'm, I'm sure there's more I'm forgetting. But um, beyond that, you know, we have a global test rider team. Like we had people in California. We had people, a lot of people in Colorado. We had um, 
people in Germany, even like Europe, we have people all over Europe riding it. So you're getting these reports from tons of different people in tons of different places. We have people in, you know, BC. And um, with all of that, it gives you a pretty good confidence that, hey, you know, we hear like there's actually one feature that we had um, that a lot of a lot of people, a lot of riders around here liked quite a bit. But uh, this one rider in California hated it so much. Like <laughs> every ride report, just like this feature is horrible. You got to take it out. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, yeah, but a lot of people here like it. You know, it's kind of one of those things. And, you know, in the long run, we we, we asked all of our testers, I was like, hey, what do you think about this feature? Like, do you, is it good? Is it bad? And it turned out the majority of the people were like, yeah, it's kind of cool, but I could live without it. So since it was that polarizing, which which pulled it out, yeah. and we wouldn't have known that if we didn't have people riding all over the all over the world, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just a big broad test rider base really um, helped us get a good idea of like, is this thing going to work well in a lot of different scenarios? And um, you know, the more people we have riding it, the better it's going to get in that in that regard because obviously you can't ride it everywhere. Um, there's yeah. only so many people under SRAM's umbrella that can do that, but. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the story behind that is, yeah, we just rode it a bunch in a bunch of places and had a bunch of different people try it. So, so and one last question that I've got before I throw it back over to Josh, I've been curious about this. Was there a point in testing when you or anybody else just got absolutely backstabbed by the system, by it saying like, yay, it's a jump <laughs> full lock. Funny you should ask that. I'm actually the only rider who has ever had it bite. And I, I kind of take, I guess I take a little bit of pride in that because it's like, I, if there was ever a new feature or anything that we're trying out, it was on my bike first. Cause like, I don't want to screw somebody yeah. else over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was actually the first week of riding it. So like, this was like the original algorithm that, that was from like, uh, like the thing one and thing two bikes, like mm-hmm. ported over to the new hardware. And, uh, it was very, very, very rudimentary, like yeah, very rudimentary. And, uh, and, and that's not bashing like the people who did no, it. No, no, like, no. It's just early in the, the project task of figuring out like, what do you even need to make something like this work? Right. Um, so I was riding on Captain Jack's during like a, like a night, it was a Thursday night ride or something like that. And, um, I distinctly remember going about, you know, probably 18 miles an hour and going around a turn and my fork locked out on me <laughs> and I just lost the front wheel and skidded on my face, like ripped a piece of my chin off and that sort of thing. But that was like, I can't, I can't stress enough. That was like four years ago. So right. yeah, yeah. I haven't had anything remotely close to that. Like I've, it's never messed up on me like that ever, like probably since the first like summer of working on it. Cause it's just, it's, it's gotten that much better, but like we've so, never, like that's the only time that any of that has ever happened. And it was the first week of development. Yeah. So, did you, you just know, hear that little zzz of the servo and think, oh, this is going to be bad? Uh, yeah, it was just like, it went zip. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> Down I go. But no, I mean, the thing, you know, I, I test ride it in the most aggressive settings. Like, it's trying to lock me out all the time. And part of that is just because like, I've gotten used to it and I like the efficiency of it. And I've gotten used to riding my bike firmer over technical stuff. Um, and so I just kind of like it. And like, I started off in zero, but like now I've kind of gravitated towards like a more firm setting just cause mm-hmm. I, that actually happened to a bunch of our riders. Like they started off in like minus one, minus two, which means like a softer ride. Um, and then the more they got used to it, they kept kind of bumping it up a little bit cause Getting they liked it and they're it. like, yeah. oh, okay, I see this. And I'm like, oh, I can get used to plus one. Okay. This is sweet. You know? And, uh, so I ride it in plus two. And part of that is because I know that if I'm not having troubles in plus two, people aren't gonna have troubles in any other setting because it's the most aggressive setting constantly trying to lock you out like 
I've pedaled off so many drops with the thing in mid because I was sprinting into it and it's open in the air as soon as I, before I hit the ground because it's got, you know, it, it knows when you're in the air. It's got detectors for that. And um, yeah. I tested all that a lot. And trust me, whenever I was figuring that out, I landed and locked and pedaled a lot and that sucked. <laughs> and that's part of riding the thing is like, oh, whenever it sucks for me, it's going to suck for everybody else. I'm going to fix this. Like there's so many times I wouldn't go home because I rode my bike in and I was trying to fix this problem before I'd go home. So I'd end up at the office till like 730 at night and pedaling back in the dark because I wanted to fix my dang bike before I, before I went back home. So yeah. As far as I know, I, that's my story is the only story of that happening, and um, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys today if I didn't think it was safe and I didn't think that it was going to protect the rider and yeah. and do its job to its fullest potential. So uh, I can't stress that enough. That was like four years ago, first week of development. Totally. So I like I said, I've been riding it for the past two years and plus two exclusively, almost mm -hmm. unless I need to test some other setting, and it has never bit me once. So. Yeah. Well. I love I love the detail in hearing about what it's like to actually be in the nitty gritty on this project. Could we talk a little bit about why someone would want electronic suspension, just in a broad sense? Yeah, that's a good question. That's one we get asked a lot. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's the uh, the whole ride further, faster, stronger, longer song thing. I guess at this point, <laughs> I mean, yeah. that we say, and, and honestly, that's not that's not wrong. Um, for me, I love riding gigantic bikes cause I weigh 210 pounds and I'm six two and just something about having like the biggest, meanest bike I can get just jives with me. It means I can try a bunch of stupid stuff and it's going to bail me out if I mess up most of the time, <laughs> as you guys <laughs> yep. both know, yep. <laughs> it doesn't bail me out all the time. Not every time. No, no. <laughs> it's a story for another day or maybe later, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I like being able to take the biggest bike I can cause I love, knowing that nothing about my equipment is holding me back. Only my skill level mm -hmm. is holding me back. And um, whenever you know you have that, like you can push yourself that much more and like you can learn that much more. Um, but at the same time, I hate pedaling a gigantic bike like that around. And with flight attendant, like, yeah, you got lockout levers or whatever, but man, I wouldn't be riding a 170 millimeter bike in a place like Ute Valley Park that has like like some sweet trails that you can get going pretty fast and have like four or five foot hucks to flat on, you know, I wouldn't do, I don't, I mean, I've done that on my XC bike, but it hurts, you know, like I want my big bike yeah. for that. But like, I also don't like pedaling it around like the traversy technical, like awkward trails, but with flight attendant, it kind of makes that decision a lot easier because, Oh, I have this 170 millimeter really capable bike. Um, that also pedals pretty darn well now too. So I just don't even have to think about it. Now it's like I can pedal, I can stand up and put in like four pedal strokes knowing that my bike's locked out into this feature and just yank as hard as I can up this wall. And I have way more speed going into it because my bike was locked out and I don't have to think about trying to flip a lever right before it because it opens up as soon as my front wheel touches the wall and I just coast right up the wall. You know, it's, it's just, I'm not gonna sit here and try and sugarcoat it and say that like, oh, it lets you do things you never could do before. But like, man, it makes it a lot nicer. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> yeah. freaking sweet that way. And like, obviously I'm biased. I, I, I poured my heart and soul into this project for the past four years, but man, I really do believe in it. And I really do think that it, it makes the ride experience that much better. I mean, Josh, the ride we did the other day, like, you know, a month ago or whatever, like I did, I mean, you did it on your Enduro bike. I don't know how you did that <laughs> on your old Enduro, but and a coil shock. <laughs> for those who don't know, the ride he's talking about is starting here in Colorado Springs and riding to the top of Pikes Peak 
and not up the road. We're talking the long way. Well, you forgot the first half of it. Oh, I was getting oh, okay. to that. <laughs> that was up the trail, but the long way by summoning El Magra first and then coming not quite halfway back down. And then, yeah, heading all the way up to Elk Park. So for anybody who knows those trails, you know how ridiculous this kind of a day is. It was a long day. But, like, I never would have taken my gigantic bike on it before because it's like, that's just, I don't want to pedal that thing that far. Because how like, many thousand feet of climbing was that? It was over 12,000 feet of vert, you know, and like right. 68 miles or something like that. But who's counting really? No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I just wouldn't have done that. Josh did because he's a masochist. But, like, uh-huh. I, I mean. Yeah, Josh did that on a coil. He did that on a coil. Yeah, it's not the best advert for a flight attendant, I guess. But, but that's not, that's like actually illustrating my point. Like, it's not. I'm not trying to say it's letting you do things that you couldn't do on a regular bike. But my goodness, I felt so much better than I would have if I had been pedaling Josh's bike. No offense to your bike; it's a great bike. But uh, it's just like holy crap! It makes that that much easier for me to go do this thing, and I don't even have to question about oh, should I take my 120 bike? Because guess what? The descents you do or double black diamond descents was like like huge drop, like not drops, but like huge like compressions and rocks and all kinds of crazy stuff. And when you just pedaled 12,000 feet, you I want to have all the help I can get. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and still have fun. So uh, to me, it's just like you know, if you're a mountain biker who likes to ride a lot and likes to pedal and likes big bikes and you got the money for it dude buy flight attendant because it's i think it makes it that much better like it's you know we got guys in the office uh i ran into two different two two of our different guys uh this week um they both just built new bikes one of them was uh was a nuke proof giga not even the mega the giga the giga and i was like dang man that's a huge bike it's like 180 rear i think or something like that oh geez and he was like yeah, I would never buy a small bike again because I can just put flight attendant on this. I'm like, oh, that's a great advertisement. <laughs> like, yeah. You should go talk to some people. <laughs> yeah. And then I ran into another guy who was riding. He had a common saw meta, uh, the big one. I'm not very versed with common saw bikes, unfortunately, but it's like the big, their mm-hmm. big enduro bike. And um, I was asking him, I, was, I noticed he had just put flight attendant on his bike. I was like, oh man, you got flight attendant. How's this? Doing? And again, these are not, these are like, since we work at SRAM, we have access to the parts. So yeah. sorry for everybody who can't put flight attendant on their meta or their giga yet. Um, but yeah. <laughs> foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Hopefully, I don't know. I, that's way above my pay grade. So yeah. <laughs> all I do is make is like design the parts and hope people like them. Uh, but then I was talking to him. I was like, yeah, so what do you think about it? He goes, oh, dude, I hated this bike before I put it on it because it was so terrible to pedal around. Now with flight attendant, I just ride this bike all the time. And like, he's coming from like, he used to ride a 120 bike. Like mm-hmm. that was his main bike. But now he's on flight attendant with a gigantic bike and he loves it. So you know, it, it anecdotally speaking, like it makes a pretty big difference. Like if, if all of our test riders are wanting to stay on it, like that's a pretty good sign because these guys and gals are super picky because they're super good and they have access to whatever parts they want yeah. and they still want to put it on there. So, um, again, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here or anything like that. Like our team did an awesome job on this, obviously, but, um, I just believe in the product that much. And I really do think it makes that big of a difference. And I know not everybody's going to see it that way, but Hey, hopefully some people do. I'd like you, to keep my job. You yeah. have also ridden away from me multiple times now on, uh, <laughs> on the smart bike with uh, the proprietary SRAM, SRAM squeakers, as I it's call SRAM them. SRAM squeakers, Squeak- yeah. SRAM squeakers. <laughs> they, do make some, they do make some noise. But. Okay, yeah, so did any of your audio engineering background come into that? Did, they, did you get to speak into that at all? I did not, and uh, I, I toyed around with a couple of different ideas, but honestly, uh, I was so busy with other stuff that I didn't really get a chance to. My boss and I talked about it, um, and honestly, it's kind of one of those things where like some people actually like the noise because they know something's happening, and like you mm, kind of get yeah. used to it, and it's like, oh, cool. Like, I actually... 
at this point, this is kind of dorky, but just based on how the, the, the motors, like how the components sound whenever they shift, uh, I'll know if it's shifting towards lock or towards open. Uh, cause they make a different sound, whichever way they're going. That's a man who spent a lot of time <laughs> on that bike. Yeah. So like, I can like, I can hear it and be like, Oh, I just shifted to mid or, or yeah. pedal mode. Oh, I just shifted the fork just shifted to open suite. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, so I can just like listen to it and kind of know what my bike's doing. So it's that much more kind of it's talking to gelled. It is talking to me. So, you know, the, the sound is something that like people definitely hit on, but uh, most people that ride it are just like, they forget about it after a ride or two and it's okay. But yeah. So without giving away uh, the secret sauce, how does it work? How does it work? Well, the way I always try and describe it, uh, which I feel like I'm getting a little bit better at every time I do it, I've been asked that question a lot in the past couple months, yeah. uh, is you know we have, we have the pedal sensor, and then we have sensors in the fork and the shock, right? And so between all of that, um, <clears throat> we know if the bike's going uphill, we know if it's going downhill, we know if you're pedaling or not, and we know like how bumpy the terrain is and that sort of thing. And so basically the way I like to describe it is the pedal sensor lets us know that the rider's pedaling. And if you're pedaling, then you usually try to want the bike to be more efficient. If you're not pedaling, why would you care about efficiency? Cause you're not pedaling anyway. You're not wasting any energy in the suspension. Um, there might be a few corner cases here or there, like going through rollers or whatever, but like in general, if you're not pedaling, you don't need your fork locked out. You don't need your shock locked out. You don't need them. You need them open, you know? So that's a pretty big input. So if you're pedaling, the pedal sensor is always trying to push the bike to a more firm setting. And the terrain and the bumps that you're riding over always try to push the bike to a more open setting. So these two things are constantly in tension. So pedal sensor is always fighting against bumps. And so pedal sensor is pushing one way, bumps are pushing the other way. And um, this is all like metaphorically speaking inside sure. the code base <laughs> so yeah, yeah. uh in, in simple terms i guess and uh so as soon as uh so if it's smooth there's no bumps there's nothing really fighting the pedal sensor anymore so it pushes the bike towards lock if there are a lot of bumps they'll start fighting back against the pedal sensor and, and drives the, the bike towards a more open setting like pedal or, or open you know um then as soon as you stop pedaling all that tension breaks and the bike just goes towards open all the way to open because uh you don't need to be firm anymore mm-hmm. and so the beauty of it really is that pedal sensor, which is all the credit goes to our AD team for figuring that out because that's what lets the bike behave like a normal bike when you're descending. It's because you're not pedaling. The bike knows that it's like, I'm just going to give you like the most plush, like enduro sled experience you could possibly have, you know? Um, and big kudos to our suspension guys for figuring guys and gals for figuring out all the new stuff that they put into the new forks. Cause my goodness, like as soon as we got those new forks, it was like, Holy crap. Like I have no excuse to not be like a world champion on this bike that I'm riding. It's, just, it's all my fault. So uh, it, again, I don't like my equipment holding me back and there was nothing holding me back with that new fork um, and shock. So uh, yeah, that's kind of how it works in a nutshell. Like kind of high level overview. Is that answer the question well enough or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, because I think that's something that a lot of people are going to wonder and just want to know like, all right, well, my bike makes crazy noises now. H- how do I know that it knows what's happening? Like, how do I... How do I trust that this thing is going to know I just took a jump? Well, uh, again, we've got, I mean, thousands and thousands of miles and hours of test riding mm-hmm. on this thing. Um, and again, our riders are really good and really picky. And if they didn't like it, they'd be letting us know. And they let us know that they did like it. So yeah, I think you can take that to the bank. I think it usually takes people probably a month to get used to the system because it is different. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, oh, it's going to feel totally normal for your shock to be locked out. 
you know, on your 170 bike that you never locked the shock out on. Yeah. It's yeah. going to feel totally normal and, you know, trustworthy to be pedaling into a drop and, you know, and you don't know what state your bike's in, but like you can trust it. Like I, I've ridden it so many times and gone off so many drops and, and everybody else in our test group's done the same thing. And, um, it just takes time though. Like I'm like, I really do think it takes time. Cause a lot of people, when they first ride it, the first couple of rides are kind of like, eh, I don't know. It's kind of weird. But then like a month later, you know, you call them up like, yeah, I'm not giving this back, you know, because they, they yeah. trust it and they, they know that's going to not leave them high and dry. So it just takes time. So when we talk about new innovations in biking, there's obviously, you know, there's always going to be the curmudgeons that say, why bother? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we've kind of covered some of that, which is, you know, it, it makes a big squishy bike more fun. Mm-hmm. Like in, but I guess the thing that I'm curious about is, you know, when we look back in the history of biking, there's sometimes where either one company or another will come out with a particular innovation that doesn't necessarily look too different at the time, but we look back on it later and realize that one thing, which seemed like maybe it was a gimmick that revolutionized a section of the biking space. So if you look forward 10 years, do you see this? And I mean, it's your baby. So I think I know the answer, but you know, do you see this as being a thing that people look back on and say, Oh yeah, that was cute and it turned into be kind of this little niche thing or that really changed the like longer travel big hit kind of bike market or the third option this is going to be something that really radically changes all of mountain biking you know that's a tough question um i think i mean I, there's what i hope and there's what i think and then there's what might happen you know yeah yeah, uh, yeah. i hope I hope it changes things. I hope it ends up getting to where it's, uh, we can put it on a lot of bikes. And, um, you know, the, the cool thing to think about is, okay, we have this technology now that's been widely accepted, hopefully a few years down the road and frame manufacturers can then start seeing, Oh, we don't have to worry about our anti-squat values as much. We can start making our suspension more, you know, more plush and more reactive. We don't have to really worry about the pedaling characteristics as much. We can just focus on all out downhill performance um, because we can put flight attendant on this bike. And to me, that's where things get really exciting because it's a constant balance. You know, engineering in, in, in a nutshell is basically like, what compromises do you have to make to make the best product? You know what I mean? Right. But if you don't have to compromise your suspension performance to get pedaling performance anymore and you can just focus on like square edge hit performance or whatever, you don't have to worry about like, you can design it to not have a ton of pedal kickback. You know, if you can do that because you have flight attendant, to me, that's super exciting, and I hope we get there. Uh, I mean, the main, the biggest barrier for that, honestly, is just the price of it. And you know, it's brand new technology. If you knew how much SRAM spent in R and D on this thing, like you would understand why it costs as much as it did, as mm-hmm. much as it does. Um, I mean, seven years of development. I mean, come on. I mean, that's a that's, it's a long time. It's, it's a lot, and and you're paying engineers and technicians and the people making it and 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 all that kind of thing. It's you know, there's a lot that goes into it. And I understand as a consumer myself, like, yeah, it's expensive. It's crazy expensive. Um, but honestly, I think like, if you got the money, I think it's worth it. And so I hope it's widely adopted like that. Uh, my hope would be to see people start, um, specking it on like a GX level bike, you know, and like, maybe you get like a little cheaper drivetrain, little cheaper components on an aluminum frame, but then you put flight attendant on it and you know, you, you upcharge for that a little bit, obviously you have to, yeah. but then you have super, to me, suspension is the most important part of the bicycle, suspension and brakes. Um, like I would rather ride an SX drivetrain all day, um, but then have like top of the line brakes and suspension because that's what makes you go fast. 
Yeah. Um, in my humble amateur mountain bike rider opinion. <laughs> At least downhill. <laughs> At least downhill. Yeah, yeah. downhill. Yeah. I don't know. I've ridden a lot of crappy drivetrains that were well past their due date and they work. Yeah, they but work. But if you don't have brakes. It's not like as plush or smooth as, uh, you know, XX1 axis, but, you know. Whatever. Uh, yeah. I, I hope that we start seeing them spec'd on on a not lower end bike, so it'd still be a pretty high end bike, but you know, like more mm-hmm. respect bikes. Um, I mean, Aaron Gwynn cool. might argue that you don't even need a drivetrain for uh, winning races. That's, That's a great true. point. Yeah. That's very true. But if you don't have a drivetrain, then you're not pedaling really. I mean, so he used it for those. Open. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. All right. Certain so not races. That. Certain races. <laughs> <laughs> so I would love to see that happen, but because I think that is one of the questions right? Like now, and obviously it's just hitting the market. So it is, you know, mm-hmm. we haven't had a chance to see where the price point will move, but I mean, that is the question, unless you're already in that top end, it's sort of like, well, I guess I'm going to put another bike in my bike <laughs> from well, a price yeah. standpoint. I mean, or sell your $5,000 trail bike and your $5,000 enduro bike and buy a flight attendant bike that can do it all. I mean, yeah, that sounds a little cocky, I guess, but like, honestly, dude, like I'm never buying a 120 bike or a 130 bike, mm-hmm. um, again, because I have flight attendant and it's like, I'd rather ride my big bike and just, yeah, you still got the, like the rolling resistance of running like an acid guy and a DHF on it, but I don't care. I mean, just get stronger. That's, <laughs> I'm speaking that to myself personally, cause like yeah. I have to get stronger all the time, but, uh, it, it's uh yeah i, I think that it kind of makes it to where you could probably just get one bike for that that market i mean it's not an xc bike i'm not gonna sit here and tell you it's an xc bike because it's not but um yeah getting rid of your trail bike to buy an enduro bike maybe is, um, is this then sort of an answer to some of the trend in bike building last few years that is making these sort these shorter travel trail bikes so much more capable where we're now seeing guys that can do on like a 130 mm-hmm. or a 140 what you used to really want 160 to do a few years ago and as bikes move that direction is this sort of like the natural sort of response to that in some way i mean you could look at it that way i mean we have been working on this for seven years so i can't be like oh yeah we saw this trend in the market and yeah, we decided yeah. to come out with this but no, that's I think, exactly what you say <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh but yeah i think it could totally be an answer to that a lot of people with those like down country bikes quote unquote want to go do huge days um but have a bike that's still fun to ride downhill and again like like i have um sort of a down country-ish bike right now it's a epic evo and the bike's super fun and it's super quick and you know you look at like all my downhill times are slower on it but like my average moving speed's like two miles an hour faster <laughs> than right. on an enduro yeah. bike and it's just because it rolls so quick but honestly i'd still rather ride the flight attendant bike around because it's like good enough for all the climbing and tech stuff it makes it tolerable for all that stuff uh and it just shreds the downhill so hard so it's like it kind of depends on what you're wanting to get out of life i guess so you're like more of a downhill dude or more of a yeah all over the place dude it's or all do about it, or do that what's that it's all about priorities it's all about priorities it yeah so i mean i think i could see people that are into the down country things because like dude like you, a lot of these down country rigs still weigh like 29 pounds you know it's like just put like four extra pounds of weight and you have an enduro bike you know yeah like, let's just do that you know yeah i i love the down tr- down country coil it's uh, that is, uh that's an interesting setup. It's a good one. Go. Yeah, twenty nine pounds. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's kind of illustrating my point. It's you have a one fifteen bike, like hundred fifteen millimeter travel bike that weighs twenty nine pounds, and it's an awesome bike, and it's gonna be more nimble than an enduro bike. But like for someone like me, I would just rather ride like add the four extra pounds and just riding a full full enduro rig. Yeah, personally. Well, you still beat me on the downhills. So uh, <laughs> there's got to be something in that. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's so cool to hear 
your your passion for this, and you obviously have a tremendous work ethic that has gone into developing a you know, incredible product. And it's it's fun to celebrate with you a little bit to see that this is coming to fruition and hit the market, and hopefully it will will trickle down to uh, <laughs> more more people in the very near future. Um, yeah, well, thanks. I really appreciate that, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been a fun ride, and excited to see where it goes. I'm not gonna pretend. I'm not gonna say it's the the next big thing in mountain biking just yet. I really hope it is, but you know, it's yeah. not really up to me at this point. Well, I uh, I have a suggestion for the next project you could you could work on. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's that going to be, Josh? What are you feeling in the electro- electronic realm? I think SRAM should develop the access refrigerator <laughs> that uh, you put in your bottom tube. Oh, uh, okay. there we go. You can have cold cold whatever you want. Yeah. Some people might like beer um, and just some cold cheese salami. That's all I need. <laughs> Keep me going. I would say in the middle of that ride, some cold salami and cheese would have been pretty dialed. <laughs> <laughs> you, you take that back to your, uh, your supervisors. That's no, what yeah. we can do. If yeah. anybody that's specialized is listening, that little trap door you guys have in your down tube. I mean, that's, that's yeah. trick. Specialized was specialized first, was first Trek's yeah. just now coming out with it. Yeah. 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 I mean, no, we won't. Cause, uh, you know, if any of those bike companies out there hear us say that and they realize we don't know their brand, maybe they should come talk to Supa. There I mean, go. gotta keep this dream alive. <laughs> anyway, outside of a shameless pitch for someone to support the show, you said that when you got on with this project, Joe, that you had already been thinking, man, it would be great to do this. And then you found out somebody else already was. So do I get to ask you what else you wish existed in bikes? that maybe seven years from now we'll find actually hitting the trail from SRAM or somebody else. Oh, man. Let me think about that for about two seconds here. Jeez. Uh, I guess, honestly, I'm already kind of working on some of this stuff. I'm not really allowed to talk about it. So uh, I guess, uh, yeah. What's, what's, oh, your stock answer? what's your stock answer again? Uh, SRAM is continually working on an improving mountain bike technology. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's exactly perfect, yeah. but it's close. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the point across. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. There you go. That's, yeah. Well, <laughs> thanks for, for highlighting all of that. Um, we have to do our traditional questions. Oh, of yeah. Course. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 We're I've not, we're not done that. yet. Yeah. We're not done by a long shot. Yeah. <laughs> so, what wild or silly encounters have you had out on the bike? Uh, you know, I haven't had that many crazy, crazy things happen yet. The spookiest encounter I've had was I was riding up uh, this uh, here in here in Springs Cheyenne Canyon um, at night by myself, and uh, there's this like in one section of the gravel road there's like a forty foot rock wall kind of up on your right, and uh, this rock fell. I heard a rock fall, and I look up and I have like a, a headlight on my he- on my helmet, and um, I look up and I see these two little beady eyes staring down at me. I'm like, oh no, I'm dead. It's a mountain lion, but it's just a little fox. So oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was a little creepy, but I, I haven't had that many crazy things happen out on the trail. Cause I, mean, I guess it's a good thing, but yeah, I'm pretty boring that way. Okay. Cause we've had other guests. I think we have two now that have hit cows. Like you haven't actually, uh, no, I have almost hit deer a few times, but usually okay. I, I can see them coming. I haven't stolen anybody's ATV to fix a flat tire or anything like that. Which <laughs> uh, shall remain unnamed. Yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't top that by a long shot. It, it wasn't a full steal. It was just you know borrowing some equipment. Yeah, borrowing, just borrowing air. Yeah, borrowing. yeah. Oops. <laughs> 
Yeah, so sorry, that one's a little boring, but... No, no, no. it's fine. I mean, you've had a lot of encounters with uh, computers on trails trying to dial in code. Yeah, so so much better than... Wow, I guess I've been hailed on a few times. That's kind of cool. That's not even that cool. No, that's, that's just fact that's of just, life in Colorado. Colorado. <laughs> yeah, that's just how it works here. This is one I'm going to stick in there between the other questions that we do, because this is some Midwest love here, like coming from <laughs> from a place near where you came from as well. When I try to describe the kind of bikes I ride and the kind of riding I do, which the bikes are not as expensive and crazy and the riding is not as insane as what you do, I just get blank stares. So what do you get when you try to go home and explain to people, I'm making shocks for bikes that think for themselves? Yeah, that's uh, it's kind of funny you asked that question because whenever I first was like telling people, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving the Midwest to go to Colorado to work on mountain bikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a lot of people like, oh, so you're uh, giving up on the engineering thing. I'm like, no, <laughs> not really. Somebody <laughs> has to make the parts. Like they all thought I was going to go out work a bike shop, which is a great thing to do, obviously. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they all thought I was like, just not going to do the engineering thing anymore. So the, it, it's kind of, it gets hard to explain sometimes. Like mm-hmm. uh, I usually just try to say I, I'm an electrical engineer. And if they want to know more, then I'll, I'll go beyond that. I try to keep it on the deal that... I work for a bike company for the most part, I guess. I don't really know why. I think it's just kind of, I don't know. I think it's usually whenever I think something's super cool, I downplay it quite a bit. So I try not to tell people I work at SRAM because I think it's freaking awesome. But I don't know. know. Well, then I'll know the next time if I hear you saying, dude, I was on this ride with Jason Josh and it was sick. I'm going to get mad. Because I'm going to know that... It was pretty awesome. It, yeah. No, I'm going to know that you hated it. Oh, no, yeah. no, no. no. <laughs> you got to downplay. Yeah. Downplay. When I hear you downplaying it, I'll know okay. it was good. All yeah. right, all right. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing when I get hurt. It's like if I'm yelling and screaming about something, it's because it doesn't hurt that bad. If I'm quiet, it's like, yeah, it hurts yeah. really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of like you guys found out. <laughs> yeah, as we found out. <laughs> You're just staring off into the distance. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh Joe? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, that was... That was the day we all decided to do a ride around the neighborhood, and then Joe came back bleeding from the head. No, nah, I wasn't. It was bleeding from my nose. It was more of your the, nose the, is part of your head. That's part of my head, but it was more of the, <laughs> the cracked helmet in like four places. Yeah, it was the obliterated helmet. How yeah. many of those did you say you'd gone through that year? I went through three helmets that year. It was a bad year for my brain. Which <laughs> <laughs> is kind of embarrassing because you worked on one of the most <laughs> ridiculous things that I can think of in terms of bike technology. And you're doing this to your brain. Like, think what you could have been if you <laughs> well, were not getting a, hurt. I was a fullback for a long time, so oh, never mind. Speaking, like, uh, this is I've been pretty nice to my brain. I used to see green like probably three or four times a year, and after hits, <laughs> and yeah, I cracked a couple helmets in football too. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we got you before the CTE kicked in. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me yeah, <laughs> and that might, open. <laughs> that might bring us to the next question: best day, worst day. So the worst day wasn't actually whenever I landed on my head in front of you guys. I didn't think it would be. No, that was actually a pretty fun day, and it's a good story. And I kept yeah. the helmet for a while to remember what happens whenever you don't commit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, best day, worst day. I would say, I think my worst day. This is kind of an odd one because it was a successful day as far as like accomplishing the ride that I set out to do. But um, it was summer 2019, and um, I had done Pikes Peak twice that year already. I did it once by myself, which is the first time I ever did it. And then um, I did it again with a friend, and we ended up sleeping on the side of the road <laughs> for about 15 minutes because he got altitude sickness real bad, and I wasn't feeling very good either. And uh, so we slept. It was on, like, the last – I mean, you know, Josh. It's like we'd already come up, like, Bar Trail Oak Park, and it was, like, the last two or 3,000 feet on the highway. We'd gotten up. I think there was probably, like – 
two more switchbacks left. It was like we're above 13,000 feet and it's just like we both had a wall. So that was not, still not the best, still not the worst day, but that was a good day. Is that right um, by the uh, Marmot signpost? It's by the Marmot signpost, yes. Yeah. There's a little speed limit sign right there and we both just <laughs> laid down for a while. There you go. Uh, that one, that one was a really good day still though, because that was a successful day. So I'd done two Pikes Peak efforts in the summer and then I wanted to do El Magre because that's the second highest peak in the, the 719. Me, in, in, in 719 uh, area code. So uh, those are the two most prominent peaks here that you can see here from Springs. And uh, by, by the numbers, like El Magre was going to be a smaller ride than the, the two Pikes Peaks days I'd done. Um, I decided to do it for my house cause I just was wanting to be super hardcore bro, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, just the whole time I was pedaling up that mountain, I was just like, why am I doing this? This is just out of pride and <laughs> stupidity. And I was by myself the whole time. And like yeah. the, the fire road to get up the gravel road to get most of the, the, like the first probably third of the climb is, you know, there's cars going by. So you're just getting, I did it on a Saturday. So I'm just getting dusted out by trucks the whole time. And uh it's just kind of like oh this sucks and i don't know i got to the top of that mountain and i was just like cool that was i don't know i'm again i was downplaying it a little bit i guess yeah i was like stoked to do it but it just was like it just felt pretty empty and like i was doing it for the wrong reasons and uh i just kind of like oh, i just need to get back home so i still had a long way to go to get back home but it, it was cool i was glad i did it but it was just kind of one of those empty rides almost it was like i'm doing this not for the right reasons and it's just kind of more of a just a pride thing at that point. So that was probably the worst day, even though it was a successful day. It was super cool. I got to see top of the Magre and all that stuff, but yeah. Um, best day. Jeez. I've had a lot of really awesome days on bikes, which is really fortunate for that. Um, I, I, you know, you gotta, I gotta give it to the, uh, the Almagrex. Oh yeah. We affectionately call it. That was a really good day. I know that probably wasn't your best day. It was a painful, painful day. Yeah. I was, that's the best I've ever felt on a long ride in my life. I don't know. Like I cleared stuff on Elk Park that I'd never cleared before going up it, you know? Uh, Like I, I, like the first two times I'd gone up Elk Park, you know, I I walked a good portion of it. And then this time I cleared probably 85% of it, like as much, almost as much of it as you could, which I was like, wasn't expecting that. And that was after we already summited, you know, Amagre. So it was just a special day that way. I don't think I could go do that again, uh, you know, next week or something like that. But it was a special day that way. That and just, you know, my brother from Texas was along on that trip and uh, getting to see how much it meant to him to be able to do that ride too, which the fact that he could come from sea level and do that ride is quite impressive, I would say. I <laughs> he like, worked his terrifying. tail off. He did work yeah. his tail off. I couldn't believe he he pulled that off. But And he was doing like hardcore stuff like – going riding in Texas heat for three hours without eating or drinking water to like prepare himself for it. I'm like, not necessarily recommended. Yeah. uh, Don't tell Lacey that that happened. (laughs) Yeah. He said he read it online somewhere that like helps you prepare for altitude. And like, to be fair, like that's the strongest he's ever been coming from sea level up here. So like, you know, maybe there's something to it, but seek medical advice before attempting to ride in extreme heat with no water. Exactly. No, but like starting that ride at like, what was it? Three 30 in the morning. And then being like, probably like two or three, like 3,000 feet higher for the sunrise and just seeing that come up. And I don't know, it was just a cool day. That was an amazing was a sunrise. super cool day. Yeah. And then we just skated into the summit house before they closed for yes. the night. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was sweet. And then the descent, like 8,000 feet straight of descending on bar trails, just like, oh, oh my gosh. It's yeah. so good. And you're so tired, you can't think. Like, there's no thinking involved. So, like, I mean, I was struggling a little bit. The upper section, Josh was crushing it and kicking my butt super hard. Uh, 
The coil. Yeah. It was the coil. It had to be the coil. <laughs> he dragged the coil out there. Uh, but then, you know, like bar camp, we got to bar camp and like the section from like bar camp down to the bottom is like one of my favorite sections to trail like all time. Like it's so good. And just like, you're so tired, you can't think. And so everything that you've ever learned about riding a mountain bike just kind of starts happening without thinking about it. And it was just like one of the best feelings I've ever had. I don't know. It was cool. It was, it was, those were it was a really good day. Zen, zen yeah. moments. And a shameless plug. I think it's going to be an annual ride, hopefully, eventually. Ooh, yeah. yeah. The 719. The yep. 719, yeah. yeah. So keep your eye on the old, the old stand-up pedal action uh, Instagram account. Maybe next year you're going to see a picture of a lot of really tired-looking guys on top of Pikes Peak. <laughs> you, you could be one of them. You yeah, guys, you guys and gals. Oh, and gals, yeah. Gals, yeah. Gals, Anybody yeah. wants to go, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I would love to hear, you, you mentioned a couple of times uh, some things that this process of working on flight attendant has taught you, but uh, do you have any other things that you feel like you've learned from cycling or this project that have really just been heavy hitters and takeaways for you? Hmm. Yeah, I mean... Jeez, there's so many things. Uh, I mean, you learn a lot about yourself whenever you're super tired. Like, I think my first time up Pikes Peak by myself was like, you you learn a lot about yourself whenever you're alone pushing your bike up a mountain for six and a half hours, you know? And then, like, you make it to the top, and then you have to keep it together for a pretty gnarly descent, too. And I'm not trying to give myself kudos or anything like that. There's plenty of guys I know that have done that. Um, and I did a lot faster than I did, but, uh, I don't know, just, that was a cool day of just like learning, like what it takes mentally to push yourself that far. And I got a lot of that from like wrestling and football. Like there's plenty of times when I wanted to quit and I didn't because I knew the end goal would be worth it. Um, a lot of it, I don't know. A lot of what I've learned too is like just kind of slow down and soak it in sometimes, which, I suck at that, <laughs> but I learned that it's important to try to do that. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, you kind of learn about like priorities too, because there've been plenty of times where I've been out on a bike ride and I've just felt like, man, I should be back with my wife right now, or I should be with my friends right now. Cause I ride alone a lot and I've had to ride alone a lot for the past, you know, four years because I've had, you know, secret top secret little parts on my bike that people yeah. aren't supposed to see. So, um, yeah, I just kind of learned that, like, you know, as much as I love mountain biking, like, if you put it in the wrong spot in your life, uh, the rest of your life's going to suck. And it's better, mountain biking's better whenever it's balanced with the rest of your life. And uh, that's something I struggle with a lot, too. It's the same thing for, like, work or anything else, you know. Um, you got to put it in the right perspective. And, um, yeah, and then I think the last thing uh, is just, I don't know. You guys kind of alluded to it earlier, but I'm, I'm a Christian guy. I believe in Jesus. And just every time I get on my bike, I just know he loves me because it's so much fun and he lets me do it. And he's given me, I met both of you guys through biking and uh, I've met so many good people through it and I uh, made so many friendships. So it's just a constant reminder of that. And um, yeah, no, I think it's as long as God is willing, I'll, it'll be a part of my life as long as I can make it. So um, yeah, I love it. And super happy to be able to do it and super happy to make a career out of it and uh you know technically i guess you could say i was a professional cyclist for a while there you know getting paid to, to test rides uh, i guess you could sure yeah. you still are uh, well yeah i mean yeah i guess you could say that so <laughs> and you don't even have to do any drug testing i don't have to do any drug testing not that it'd be a problem but they'd probably be like holy cow what are you eating <laughs> 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 yeah, so. 
uh no it's been fun yeah love mountain biking and yeah well we we love having you on the show it's been really fun and thank you for sharing a bit of your story over the past you know four five years and then you know growing up all that stuff (laughs) (laughs) what what has made you you yeah little little tiny window Um, yeah well i really appreciate the opportunity guys and it's been super fun and it's been super fun yeah. Oh man, no, it's going to be a thing now. I knew it. Oh man. All right. Yeah, Joe, thanks again. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. If you want to know more about stand up pedal action, you can check us out online at supa.bike. That's S U P A dot B I K E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.